Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. It says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness doth not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. This last letter of the seven churches, this ends in our study the things that are. In chapter 1, John was told, write the things that thou hast seen the things that are and the things that shall be after these things. And he says the things that are are the seven churches. And then after next week, chapter 4, 1, we're in heaven. Now, I hope we really are. If we're not, we'll be there here. Uh, But, uh, you know, this is the last exhortation to the churches. Bible scholars say outside of Matthew 23, where Jesus rebukes the scribes and the Pharisees that this is the most scathing and heated, you know, challenge he makes. And this is to the church uh, that is at Laodicea, to the believer who is professing but not living up to their profession. They're lukewarm. He is still telling us, he who hath an ear, that's the individual, let him hear what the Spirit Saith is presently saying today, this morning, to the churches, plural, not just Laodicea. And though it's the most heated and the harshest of his reproofs to the church, he also says, look, I have counsel for you. He also says, I love those who I reprove and chasten. It's not without that tenderness. He also says to those who would overcome out of this system, here's the promise that I have. So, yes, it's harsh. Yes, there's a great dose of reality. Yes, as we look into it, there's medicine for each one of us, I think. You know, certainly as I go through, the Lord would speak to me and does about things that are lukewarm in my life. That need to be heated up a little bit. Uh, And so I think there's good medicine here for all of us from the great physician. Understand they saw themselves, hey, I'm rich, increased with goods. 
You know, I have need of nothing. And the great physician says, really? Well, I've taken your blood pressure and a blood sample and your lab work has come back. And the truth is, uh, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's my diagnosis. You know, so it's interesting to see that sometimes we can have an opinion of ourselves vastly different than the great physician does. So there's good medicine here for us. Uh, Remarkably, he stoops down and talks to them in a historical context of where they actually lived, the things that they were going through. What that tells me is he stoops down to our lives and talks to us about where we are in Bucks County, Montgomery County, Philadelphia, Delaware County, New Jersey, wherever. He stoops down to our lives and talks to us about the things that are relative to our heart and our thoughts. He did it with the disciples. He did it with his own generation. He spoke about sowing seed. He talked about tares and wheat. He talked about sheep and goats. He talked about, you know, oxen and plowing. He talked about, he stooped down to where they were and applied truths that were spiritual to their lives out of their actual context. He does it here. I think that's important. So this church, Laodicea, a letter to the church of the Laodiceans, Um, Laodicea, Leo, the laity people, Dosia, as the idea of to rule or to govern, the basic problem with this church is this is a church that is ruled by the people, governed by the people, not by the head of the church, Jesus Christ. And, And because of that, they've lost their spiritual temperature He's going to challenge them about these things. Laodicea, Antiochus III, named it after his wife, Laodicea. That's where the name came from. And it sat in a valley uh, with Hierapolis and Colossia. And uh, the, the problem in this town was, was the water was lukewarm. And there's reasons for that. We'll look at that. Um, Paul, when he writes to the Colossians, he does... Mention this, he says in chapter 2, For I would that you know what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. And for as many as I have not seen face to face. In chapter 4, he says, Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, Cause it to be read also in the church of the Laodiceans that you may likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So uh, clearly the, the Paul was aware of these churches in this area, Colossae, Laodicea, probably all born out of his ministry in Ephesus. Um, interesting, that was 30 to 35 years before this. Paul's exhortation to the Colossians three decades before this was set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth, but where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you shall appear with him in glory. Thirty years before this, he could tell this church to let their affections be anchored in heaven. You know, that's the hope of the Bible. It says it's an anchor to our soul, but it anchors up. It doesn't anchor down like most anchors. 
And he, and he said to this church, set your affection there. Now, 30 years later, this church is saying, hey, I'm rich. I got goods. They're anchored here. He's going to say, you don't even understand the condition that you're in. So he's talking to this historic church on this trade route, has all of these natural things going for it. And historically, look, the the church is famous for four things. I'll mention that because then he brings them into his reproof. Like the Lord will take things in our life and bring them into our lives when he needs to reprove us. This city was wealthy. It was rich because of three trade routes that came through there. Um, It was rich because of banking. It was a banking center. It was wealthy, this city. In fact, the area was was, uh, volcanic. There were earthquakes. Uh, Parts of Philadelphia had been destroyed. Colossae, uh, 30 AD. And in 60 AD, there's a major quake that destroys a number of the cities. And because they had Roman favorable status... The Roman government would come in with federal assistance, as it were, and help rebuild the cities. And they helped to rebuild Colossae and so forth. But the Laodiceans said, no thanks. We don't need your help. The city was so wealthy, and the individuals in the city, the citizens, kicked in money. And they said, we don't want your help, which was remarkable for the day. And Laodicea becomes known as the city that has need of nothing. And the Lord mentions that here when he talks to them. Laodicea is also famous for a particular breed of sheep they had there. And their wool was particularly soft, like cashmere, like mohair. And and it was raven black. It was pure black. And they made these capes and these clothing out of it. It was soft, extremely warm, famous through the Roman world. Uh, And the people there in the city, of course, took advantage of the fact that the weave was there and the looms and the clothing that was made. The the clothing was called a trimata. In fact, Laodicea was also called trimatatria. They actually had a nickname for the city after this wool that was pure black. There was a university there in this city and... uh, They were famous for an eye salve that they made called Tephra Fergia. In fact, at the university, there was a teacher there. His name was Demosthenes Philothethes. He was a renowned ophthalmologist in the Roman world. I'm not sure what they knew in those days. He was a renowned ophthalmologist, and combining zinc and alum that were in the area, he made this, this stuff Famous, and they would make it in these little loaves like bread. And you would buy like this pill, this capsule, take it home, crush it up, mix it with water, and then wash your eyes with it. I don't know if it really did anything, but it was famous in uh, in this world. And then uh, the the water set them aside. Look, with all their money and all their wealth, they were famous for lukewarm water. Nobody wanted to go there. And, you know, the, the Hierapolis, which is about six miles away. And uphill had a natural hot springs. In fact, uh, there are thermal projects there by the Turkish government today to, with thermal dynamics trying to produce energy and all because of the, the thermal hot springs. But this water came out of the ground boiling hot. It was filled with minerals. They believe it had health benefits. So they built an aqueduct that went from Hierapolis 
to Laodicea. The problem was by the time it got there, it was lukewarm. Now, Colossae was famous for its springs. And they had a spring that was ice cold that came out of the ground that was famous in that area. People, you could drink the water as it was bubbling right up of the ground. No parasites, no problems. So they built an aqueduct to bring that water to Laodicea. That water was ice cold, but it was warmed by the time it got there, and it was lukewarm. So this is the problem of the town. When they first built it, there was a stream there, fresh, cool water, because you didn't build you know, a city, a settlement without a water supply. But the city so grew and became so large, it no longer could supply the need. So they had these aqueducts coming in, but the water was all lukewarm. And they're famous for that. So you can see how Jesus in the letter stoops down and talks to them in their context, as he'll do in our lives as well. He knows our kids. He knows our families. He knows where we work. He knows what we struggle with. He knows what we get angry over. He knows what we get hurt over. He stoops down and talks to each one of us as his sons and daughters in the context of our lives. He never hesitates to do that. So he begins here addressing this church. Verse 14, he says, And unto the angel of the church of Laodicea, the elder there, and this is probably out of all the letters, the hardest one to deliver. You know, the, the, the letters are going through the area being delivered. No, no, they must have thought, oh, you know, this is kind of turned up since Thyatira, you know, you know, and, you know, Sardis, you know, Philadelphia was great. I can't wait to, wait to read ours. But, you know, I can imagine the pastor standing up and saying, hey, look, guys, I'm sorry, you know, just uh, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And there's no commendation. He goes strictly to the condemnation, the reproof as we go in. So, look, his introduction is this. These things saith the Amen. Amen. You guys know, the people here know that. I hear somebody yells it out once in a while. Doesn't make me nervous. That's okay. Uh, But it's not the exclamation mark at the end of a prayer. And it's not something you yell when you kind of like what's going on. Amen. Really, there's a Hebrew root, but it has the idea of verity, of truth, of so be it. And, And here in the New Testament, it had the idea of that's the way it is, and it's unchanging. And he says, I am the amen. I, I don't change. I'm not yielding to the culture or to the time. I am as I am. So be it. With verity, with truth, unchanging. Isn't it nice to have something in your life that's unchanging? Now, if you're compromised, it isn't because he won't yield to what you're doing when you're trying to convince him it's okay. But in a life, everybody changes, don't they? Your, your parents change. And they go on before you, hopefully to be with the Lord. Your friends change. Your spouse changes. Remember you married that guy convinced you could turn him into the man you wanted him to be. That's all changed. Lewis Neal used to say, I've been married three times. Three different women, all in the same body. You know. People change. Kids change. Everything around. Isn't it nice to have one person in your life who's the amen? They're never going to change. Nothing's going to change them. 
Nuclear war is not going to change him. All of the filth around us morally and spiritually, not, he, he doesn't change. I mean, unyielding. That's why he talks to this church the way he does. He calls himself the faithful and true witness. You know, wonderful again to what he has to say. He's faithful to that and genuine. Faithful and genuine, the idea is. He's immutable he changes not. He's faithful to his word, what he said. It never changes. It never heals. He's the amen. He's the faithful, you know, and true, genuine witness. He's the beginning of the creation of God. Yeah, you know, you'll read about it in Colossians chapter 1, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Nothing was made that was made without him and so forth. Everything finds its origin in him. Everything finds its, you know, he doesn't change. He's, he's been the, who he is, and that's who he always will be, the one who was and who is and is to come. He's, his witness is a witness that's genuine and unchanging, and it's verity. And he is the beginning of the creation of God. All origin is in him. And look, in our culture, that's really important, too, because Paul talks about those people that worship the creation more than the creator. And look, there's a lot of that that goes on around us. Anybody who tells us morally, I can do what I want, I can be involved in any kind of sexual thing I want to, they're worshiping the creator more than the creation. I mean, the creation more than the creator. Anybody who says, I can do what I want with this, they're worshiping the creation more than the creator. Anybody who says, well, I can't do that because I've got to do this, worshiping the creation more than the creator. Oh, you can't do this because it puts carbon into the air and we've got to save the planet. Meantime, you can slaughter babies. Meantime, you do it well, because you're worshiping the creation more than the creator who is the amen, who never changes. His witness, his testimony is true. That's how he addresses this church who's changed. He begins by saying, I know thy works. If you look there, he said that to all the churches. But he goes right into what they're doing wrong. He does the other churches, I know thy works. And he kind of commends them for the things they're doing right. Right here he says, I know thy works. And again, it's oida to know completely. And when it's used on his end, it's a divine knowledge. It's part of the fact that he's the amen, that he never changes. I know, and it's a perfect tense, he stepped in. I have known and I know your works. I know what you're doing. I know what's involved here. It's not a mystery to me. And he says, here's the problem, that thou art neither cold nor hot, I would. And, and that's passionate there. You could translate. One translation I read said, oh, how I wish. There's a pathos involved in it. Oh, how I wish thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, you are neither cold nor hot. I will spew thee out of my mouth. Isn't it interesting to say, Oh, that I wish, you're hearing from him, that you were cold? Isn't that strange? Hot, I understand. That's zestos. 
You know, he's saying to the Christian, you need to have a little zest in your testimony. Uh, Alan Redpath used to say, compromise takes the tang out of our testimony. You know, the Christians should have some zestos in, in this world that's lost and going to hell. And he said, he said, you know, I can talk to that person and I can talk to the cold person, the unbeliever. They're faithful to their calling, the unbelievers. They don't compromise. They're living like unbelievers. And they're doing good at it. In fact, they're better at being an unbeliever than lukewarm Christians are at being a Christian. And how I wish the lines were that clearly drawn, that it was just black and white. But there's this gray that the church has moved into. He said, I wish you were on fire or an unbeliever. I have a a clear message for both of those groups. I wish that's the way it was. But you're lukewarm. And it's interesting, there is a lukewarm in the language that means lukewarm and warming. And there's a word that means lukewarm and cooling, like the water from Hierapolis. And that's the word he uses here. You're cooling. It isn't just that you're lukewarm and compromised. You're getting further away. You, you never, there's never, you know, a static position of compromise. It is a position that takes you further and further away. It doesn't make you closer. No compromise makes us closer to Jesus. And he says, because you're lukewarm and you're not cold or hot, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Now, what does it mean? Spew you out of my mouth. It doesn't mean spit. Take a slug of uh, lukewarm something and go, you know. You remember those days, don't you? He says, I'm going to spew you, vomit, hurl, puke, projectile vomiting. It's just important for you to have a word picture here. You know, what he's saying is, you know, just like something gets in your stomach and it's poisoning your system or it's causing sickness and your, your body, you know, cleanses itself by hurling. He, sa- he says, That's, I, I want you to have the picture in your mind so you understand what lukewarmness is to Jesus. Makes me want to puke, he says. Because the destiny of men and women are at stake. If you were cold or hot, the lines would be drawn. Men and women are going to hell. And you guys are lukewarm. And you're make the, it makes a place for unsaved people to be comfortable instead of them understanding they need to repent of their sins and be saved. He says, look, I wasn't lukewarm. I wasn't lukewarm in the incarnation when I was born and laid in a manger. I wasn't lukewarm when I became poor so that you could become rich. I wasn't lukewarm when I, when I nursed at a woman's breast. I wasn't lukewarm when I walked in human skin and when I was betrayed, when I was hungry, when I was tired. I was completely committed. I wasn't lukewarm as they spit in my face and beat me beyond human recognition and put a crown of thorns on my head. I wasn't lukewarm when they nailed me to the cross. I wasn't lukewarm when I breathed my last breath. I wasn't lukewarm when I rose from the dead on the third day. 
I wasn't lukewarm when I talked to the disciples about the coming kingdom. Wasn't lukewarm on the day I ascended, and I ain't going to be lukewarm on the day I come back. And he's saying to the church, "You, all of that is yours. I did all of that for you. How can you take the greatest treasures of heaven, of time and eternity, and put them on the back burner somewhere and turn down the heat? Now, look, it's a good challenge for me. You guys can do whatever you want with it. It's interesting that the, the great physician says, you know, he has the right to speak to us. He says, those whom I love, I reprove. I chasten. And he says, you know, that makes me sick. The whole purpose of my coming was to see men and women saved, brought back into fellowship with God. You're not even walking in fellowship with me. You're playing church. You're playing the game. You want to be in an environment where men decide what's happened. They have to see the rule of the people. You don't want to let me be the amen, the, the genuine, the faithful witness. You don't want everything to flow from me. And it makes me sick that those men in charge of the church, instead of, instead of me being the head of the church, and that's who I am. And he says, this attitude, what's been the source of it, What's causing this cooling, if you look in verse 17, he says, what's calling, causing the cooling is this. Because thou sayest, and if you'll notice in verse 17, it says, and knowest not. So basically what he says, one of the dangers is when you don't know what you're talking about. You're saying, and he says, and you don't know. He says, because thou sayest, because, here's the cause of the lukewarmness. You've taken this position, I am rich, and increased with goods. I have need of nothing. And what you don't know is that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The great physician has a much different diagnosis, doesn't he? Uh, you know, look, the church is comfortable. The chump, they, they, they've got great committees. They're making up their own rules. They're deciding what they want to do. You know, they've got their own programs. You know, they've got everything going. They've got their media, everything going. And he said, the problem is I'm involved in so little of that that it's a, it's a lukewarm process. And you think, hey, we're doing great. We're increased with goods. Everything's hunky-dory. It's going good. And he said, what you don't know, really, you're saying, you're a professing church, but you don't know. You're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Spiritually, you're just nowhere where you should be. And because you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, you're not affecting the lost world. The church is to be the pillar and ground of truth in any society, any culture. By the way, this COVID-infected nation and world need the pillar and ground of truth more now than ever. You can't shut down churches and leave casinos open. You can't say Planned Parenthood is essential and churches aren't. There's more Americans that have died at Planned Parenthood, three times as many since the lockdown started, than have died of COVID. 
And that's essential. It's important for us to be together. It's important for us to study the scripture together. It's important for us to look at this chapter by chapter, line upon line, precept upon precept, that we're grounded in this crazy world. Amen? Amen. He, he says here, everybody said amen together. That was good, you know. <laughs> Union. Um, he, he says to them here, he, sa- he says, look, because you're doing this, this is the root of the problem. There's no sense of Matthew 5 here. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. None of that chemistry is here. Instead, they're fat and happy. There's no blessedness from being broken and honest before the Lord. He says, this is a condition that you're in as he speaks to this church. So he says, I counsel thee. He doesn't just blow them off. Look, he says, I counsel thee. Notice, buy of me gold, not just gold, gold tried in the fire that thou mightest be rich. White raiment, instead of those black wool, white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness doth not appear. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that I produce that you might see. So he says to them, look, you, you lack spiritual wealth. You lack spiritual covering and you lack spiritual vision. My counsel is that's what you need. And you're letting these substitutes make you apathetic. You're ambivalent about what's true, about the amen, about where all this flows from and where all of it's going. So he says here, look, first of all, you need spiritual wealth. And it isn't because you can order from Amazon anything you want and it gets here in two days. It isn't because you can go online and get anything you want. He said, no. Spiritual wealth is not that kind of gold. It's gold that's tried in the fire. First Peter talks to us about that, that there's a refining process. Listening to his counsel here is part of attaining that quality. Look, you all, and I know Christians, you read Fox's Book of Martyrs. You watch Christians around the world today are being persecuted or martyred. They have a wealth that the world doesn't have. To lay down their lives, they have something they're holding on to. It's, a gold, it's gold tried by the fire. There's a spiritual wealth that, that the world does not esteem or aspire to because they're cold to all of that. He says, he says, buy of me gold tried in the fire and white garments instead of the black White garments to cover the shame of your nakedness. In chapter 7, we're going to read about it. Chapter 19, we're going to read about it, about being clothed in white. And it's a picture of righteousness. And he says, let me supply this. This is what you need to do. And then he says, and your eyes, you need spiritual vision. You need spiritual vision. You have to look at the world today, where it's coming from, where it's going. You have to see the insanity. You have to see the prophetic things that are around you. You have to see what's worth something when you look at your children and your home and your friends. You have to see glory. You have to understand heaven is ahead of us. You have to understand the rapture could happen. You need spiritual vision. So what's the sense of having 2020 in the wrong world? 
Now, the interesting thing is he says here, buy of me, if you'll see that. He had just told them the verse before they were poor, wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. Now he's saying, buy this of me. Well, if they're poor, how are they going to do that? No doubt Isaiah is the one who tells us, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money on that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. That's what he's saying. He said, there is a purchasing ability that's relative to me. Let me be your supplier. Because everything you you hanker after in this world that you get your hands on. And God daily loads us with benefits, and I'm thankful for the things in my life. But he says it doesn't satisfy the deepest place in your life. And particularly if you're lukewarm, you're proving that. He says you need to buy from me. I'm the supplier. (laughs) I'm the amen. I'm the faithful and true witness. I'm the beginning. Everything flows from me. Everything. So if you let me be your supplier, then your faith can be like gold tried in the fire. The world's never going to produce that. It'll make you comfortable. It'll fill your refrigerator and your freezer. It'll fill your medicine cabinet. It's never going to do this. You can come to me and I'll refine your relationship with me. Buy of me gold tried in the fire. Buy of me white garments. You know, you're washed in the blood of the lamb. You're pure white. He's imputed the righteousness of Christ to you. And that covers us. So our nakedness, the shame of our nakedness doesn't appear anymore because we're covered in the blood of Christ. We have white garments, it tells us. And your eyes, what are you looking at? Too, too many times we're looking at things we shouldn't be looking at. He has eye salve to anoint our eyes and to heal us. To give us spiritually 2020 vision. Look, we need that today because everybody's looking around. Maybe this will help. Maybe this will straighten it out. Maybe this person. Maybe that person. Maybe this person in the White House. Maybe this person in the Kremlin. Maybe this person in Jerusalem. Maybe this person. Look, we're looking everywhere. But if we have spiritual vision that's 2020, we, we, we maintain a perspective relative to eternity. Because we, we can see more than what's just in front of us. Set our affections on things above. So he says, do those things. Buy those things of me. That's my counsel, he says. And he says, take note of this in verse 19. This is what he wants us to understand. As many as as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous there and, and repent. Look, as many as I love. It's not agape there, by the way. It's filio. As many as I like. As many as I'm fond of. You know, sometimes in our Christian experience, we feel, well, he's got to agape me. He's got to love me because he's God. And the Bible says God is love. So he's got to, you know, this is almost more mind-blowing to me sometimes when he says, yeah, I love you. You know that. But Joe, I like you. Yeah? Say that again. (laughs) I like you. I'm fond of you. He says that to these Laodiceans. As many as I love, as I'm fond of, as I like, 
I rebuke, I chasten. Same reason parents do that with kids. Your parents told you that when they were little. I remember when I was chastened, which meant to be spanked. Your parents ever say to you, you know, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And you're a kid, you're thinking, yeah, all right, come on, why don't you let me do that? If it hurts you more, why don't you let me hold the wooden stick and uh, you will go the other way. If you really want to punish me, let me hold the stick, you know. You know, cut me a break here. I'm a kid. I'm not dumb. Uh, you know, but he says here, and it's, it's hard to receive because people who rebuke and chasten us, sometimes we don't take that as this is a person who's really fond of me, really likes me. And he says it here. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Because of that, the, he says, then let this happen. And these are both imperatives. Be zealous, and it's a play on the word zestos again. Be hot, you know, therefore, and repent and turn. He's saying, because of my love to you, yes, I have to deal with you, but because I do this because I love you, then let it put zeal in your heart again. Turn and repent. They're imperatives. This needs to happen. This needs to happen. And then he says this, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Behold, this is, that's an imperative again. You need to realize this. You need to think about this. I stand, the perfect tense, I've taken my position at the door. It's the door of your heart. I stand at the door and knock, present tense, and I'm knocking. And it's gently knocking. He could huff and puff and blow the house down. He's the amen, the faithful. It's the beginning of the creation, you know, the creation of God. He's walking in the midst of the church with eyes aflame of fire. His voice is like many waters. His face is shining like the sun. His feet are like burnished brass. He could just huff and puff and blow the door down, right? He says, he says I'm standing at the door and I'm gently knocking. That's the position I've taken. And in the present tense, I'm continuing to do that. If any man hear my voice, isn't that interesting? Are we hearing the knocking or are we hearing his voice? Somehow they go together. Is his voice the knocking? I'm standing at the door. I'm gently knocking. Now, look, we can apply that to unbelievers, right? It's a great verse for evangelism, and many have used it that way over the centuries. And certainly it's true that, you know, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment to come. So he does knock at the heart of the unbeliever. He's talking to the church here that's lukewarm. Wonderfully, he's taking a position because he loves us in front of our heart. And he's gently knocking because he wants to win us back again. <clears throat> this is the famous painting by Holman Hunt. Many of you have seen it where Jesus is at the door with a lamp knocking on the door. Uh, when Holman Hunt painted that, a number of artists were there. When it was unveiled, one of his very good friends said, this is a masterpiece. Every generation is going to see it. It's remarkable. He said, but Holman, you forgot one thing. He said, what? He said, there's no handle on the door. Holman Hunt said, no, the handle's on the inside of the door. There is no handle on the outside of the door. It's up to the person inside that opened the door. And you've seen that picture. Jesus says, any man that opens to me, any man, at Laodicea, at Calvary Philly, anywhere, anyone, you're backslidden, you're cold, you're lukewarm, open the door. You're here today and you've never come to Christ. 
It's up to you. No, he doesn't put you in a full Nelson and say, you know, say uncle. You know, he, 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 he is gently knocking and he wants you to enter. She said, if any man opens to me, I'll come in and sup with him. Realize in the culture, when you came somewhere and hospitality was extended and you supped, we get supper from you, you supped. That was because someone squashed the grapes and someone ground the wheat and baked the bread and someone killed the fatted calf. And when you went with someone, you know, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees were always offended because Jesus ate with tax gatherers and sinners because in that culture you were becoming one with them. And Jesus says, if you'll open the door, I'll come in. This is not drive through. This is a long face-to-face meal. As Christians, we went drive through. We got the bread on the little box on the, you know, in the morning on the, the promises. We pull one out. Okay, that's my scripture for the day. That's, dri- that's McDonald's. That's drive through. That's not sitting and supping with Jesus. That's not breaking bread and looking at each other and being nourished in each other's presence. He said, I'll sup with him and he with me. Isn't it remarkable? He wants to come in and sit with us face to face. He's not going to force his way in. He's gently knocking. But he's taking his position there. Perfect tense. He's not going to move. He says, to the one that overcomes, I'll give him the right to sit down with me in my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. And I guarantee you, when John writes this, he, must say, he looks up shocked. He must be saying, you've got to be kidding me. He said, my mom came to you and said, these are my sons, James and John. They're good boys, better than the rest you got here. Well, let one sit on your right hand, let one sit on your left hand. And Jesus said, that's not for me to give. That's my father's place. He said, they, I can't just say that. And he's saying, you said that to us. Now you're telling these Laodiceans they can sit with you and you're throwing your gear. you got to be kidding me. You know, he's saying you can be part of my dynasty. You can be part of, no doubt, it's eschatological, the millennial reign and so forth. But he says, you can sit with me. You can do that. He's promising. And he wants the door open so he can make that a reality. He that has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit saith unto the churches, plural. You're here today. You're lukewarm. Look, I can look at my heart and see places there that are lukewarm. I want them to be warming. This word means cooling. I don't want any place in my life that's cooling. You're here today and you've been away from the Lord. He's taken his position. And you can leave here, but you can't get away from this. If you're here today and you've never come to Christ, forget about Calvary Chapel, forget about denominations. You've never come to Jesus. He says, he that hath an ear, let him hear. Are you hearing him today appealing to you to come? Because if you don't come to Jesus, one day you're going to hear this. You're going to hear the last knock. And the Savior will have turned away because he presented every opportunity and you refused. I'm going to have the musicians come. We're going to sing a last song.
Let this be good medicine for us, Calvary Philly, as we read through it. If you're here today and you never came to Christ, you need to make that decision now. You'll see the world we're living in. It could blow up tomorrow. It's crazy. There's crazy people out there. They have the nuclear suitcase. And there's crazier people in other countries that have a nuclear suitcase. There's a disease spreading around the world. I talked to a friend yesterday, and a friend of his is one of the top virologists at Pfizer, and he specifically studies bat viruses, and he told me, Jude, this ain't the last one. There's more coming. Oh, good. (laughs) Where's Batman when you need him, you know? The world's crazy. Do you know Jesus? Where, Where are you putting your hope? If you don't know Jesus today, is your hope in Democrats or Republicans? Is your hope in the, in, the, in the election? Is your hope in, you know, medicine? Is your hope in, where's your hope? In the economy? Jesus loves you today and he's taking a stand before your heart. Or you would not be sitting here listening to me. And this is going on. But the last knock will come. He's persistent. He's taking a position before your heart. As we sing this last song... If you want to give your life to Christ, we encourage you to come and stand here. Just as we're worshiping. After the service, we'll be up here. We'd love to give you a Bible, some literature to read. But please make that decision today. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Look at the time. Father, we thank you for these things. Lord, we put them before you. Uh, Lord, for my heart, Lord, and for each of our hearts as we sit alone with you, Lord, show us the places, though it may sting, Lord, where there's a lukewarmness. Let us hear your counsel, Lord. Remind us that you challenge us about our lives because you love us, you like us, you're fond of us. And grant by your grace there would be zeal and repentance in our lives, We pray for those here who have never come. Your word says you add to the church daily such as should be saved. Lord, only you can do that. We can study, Lord, this letter to the church of Laodicea together. We can, Lord, um, look at the culture we're living in. We can try to make application. But only you can take your word to the heart of someone who's never turned to you, Lord. And maybe there's those sitting here, maybe those listening or watching, Lord, uh, as this will go out, Lord, that have never come, Lord. They've had religion, never relationship. They've known about you, but they've never known you, Lord. Would you take hold of them, Lord, and bring them into your kingdom, Lord? Would you bring them to life, Lord? Do it here this morning, Lord. Those who maybe have never come, would you draw them, Lord, that we could pray with them? We put these things before you, Lord Jesus. We love you. Lord, we're excited. We know you could come today, this week, Lord. As we're here, don't let us be lukewarm. Let us be contagious. And we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name and for your glory. Amen.